I'd like to welcome back to Tales of Glory uh, viewers and listeners out there in podcast world. We've got another packed show tonight. And as we zoom, diving back into my book, A Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare, we're now on chapter two. We're going to discuss sin and the soul tonight. Um, so there's a lot of information there tonight to look at. And so, yeah, just bear with us. It's going to got a lot of information. And like I said, I'm going to use this platform to throw in my edits for the book. I published the book, what, three years ago now, I believe. And you can't always have all the answers in this field. There's always going to be stuff that Jesus is going to put in you, give you revelations and stuff that's constantly churning inside you to figure things out. We're dealing with an invisible realm, a supernatural realm. And there's always pieces that you, you, you put out there, especially in books and stuff, that you're not comfortable with. But it's the best of your ability to explain what's going on. And sometimes experiences or other people come in and help you understand things and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. And there's pieces that don't make sense at all and you're still fumbling with it. So tonight you're going to hear about the sin and the soul, chapter 2, a field guide to spiritual warfare. And like I said, there's going to be a few edits in this. There's going to be a few changes. Nothing significant. But you'll notice too um, how I explain differently what the heavenly realms. Before I used to call everything satanic angels, angels, angels this. That's actually, as we look at Hebrew as the second temple people, Hebrews were there, understood um, spiritual beings. This is not correct. An angel is specifically a title to a type of spiritual divine creature that delivers messages back and forth between God and man, right? We have these other um, spiritual creatures, these weird-looking things, right? Stuff didn't fit, right? I know from the Catholic Church we had choirs of angels and stuff. We try to explain it from Ephesians 6.12. And again, Ephesians 6.12 doesn't really call out the angelic. It calls out spiritual beings, and we'll get into this. Um, I've been using a lot of information out of Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm. It's a really good book. Um, I, I encourage you guys to pick it up, especially if you're doing with exorcism deliverance. You get a better understanding of what the Hebrews believe because we've changed so much in the academic world. Our, our, our PhD eggheads have literally been writing out the spirituality and the um, exactly God's interactions with the spirit realm out of the Bible. And if you look at different translations, some don't match. Case in point, um, if you look at the NET, was it New English Translation Bible? And you look at Deuteronomy 32.8, you'll notice that the English translation calls out a heavenly council. If you go to the NES, NASB version translation, it calls out a human council of Israelites. And the latter is incorrect. We look at the Hebrew because it was calling out divine beings. That, you know, we Elohim in no way fits mankind, right? We're talking about sons of God. So you'll notice I slightly re-edited some stuff tonight as I talk about chapter two. If you already read chapter two, I was you know satanic angels, angels, stuff like that. I'm going to call them more out as divine beings, and I'll explain why. The more we dealt with the occult, the more the stuff didn't make sense. There was something else going on. There are things higher up the food chain that were angels. In the Bible, I think the Hebrew word, I'm going to butcher it, it's Malek, Malek M-A-L-E-K, calls out angels. These are messengers, right? Malek is a, a, an angelic messenger, and that's that's what they are. Those, those are the angels, right? That's the title of that. They're the messengers, Malek. Um, we look at Celestial beings or divine beings, those are the that's what we're looking at in Ephesians 3.10, the rulers. And we look at Ephesians 6.12, the evil rulers, right? And the powers and beings and that sort of stuff. We're dealing with 
divine beings. And this comes into play a lot. It's going to be an eye-opener, all right? I'm not going, hey, I got a new revelation on the Bible. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm bringing forth more information to help us unpack what the heck is going on, right? Stuff we don't learn in church. That's that's a problem. You're in spiritual warfare, and you dive into deliverance or something, start dealing with the demonic, we'll find out that you know pastors are awesome. Pastors are shepherds. Learned this a long time ago. I'm not knocking them. <laughs> Make this pretty clear. I love pastors, um, but their job is to be a shepherd. If you're called in this ministry as a pastor, you're called to be a sheep dog, right? You have to understand what the enemy looks like, what it is. And it's just a lifelong learning and God speaking to you. You can't learn this all at once and understand it. You have to unpack it. God has talked to you and process it. So anyway, that's my disclaimer for tonight, <laughs> right? So if you bought a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, and I recommend you do pick it up for this, this podcast because we're going to go through it. I'm also going to put out some um, questionnaire sheets. Let me know, too, feedback if those, those uh, study sheets I passed out were helpful to you. Um, those take time too. I just want to get as much information out to help you guys understand where we're at with the deliverance, exorcism, and ritual abuse and how this all ties together in ministry here and what we need to learn. Oh, what do we have here? There it is. A field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, deliverance, exorcism, and healing the effects of ritual abuse. That's what we're going to be discussing in this evening session. That's my pedigree right there. I've been through it the first podcast, but if you just need to look at it, what's Mike been doing? Let's see what's going on. Interesting. I had a, a conversation with um, one of the women I, I, I co-pastor um, in counseling with, and she asked me years ago, I went through these, all these transitions to get me to this place. Nothing's ever set in stone of what your ministry is going to be. And I went through a confusing one where I thought, back in 2014, 15, I thought, my ministry was going to be specifically towards exorcism, and that's right about the time God was opening up satanic ritual abuse ministry and counseling to me, and that's where he eventually put me because he needed somebody that had an eye on everything to understand what's happening to these people and survivors. So where am I at now? Um, I'm going to put you down as a, I do a lot of ritual abuse counseling and spiritual direction. I only work with people that sit in front of me. I used to do stuff over Skype, but I won't do it anymore because there's so much monkey business going on. Um, if the person's not in front of me and I don't see them on a weekly basis in front of me, I don't work with them because it just doesn't work. It just, um, their ritual abuse survivors, we'll go into this later on, dissociated identity disorder, have a lot of controlling parts. They want to control sessions, especially over Skype. And that's not beneficial to the healing. And when you call them out on it, they get mad and hang up. So it is what it is. But I have better, you know, control towards the healing when I'm working with them in front of me. So, author of Field Guide Spiritual Warfare, that was the black book if you guys got it, and a Field Guide to Advanced Spiritual Warfare, which we're discussing. Uh, missionary Spiritual Warfare, Ethiopia, Guyana, Vietnam, Cambodia. God sent me weird places to see witchcraft firsthand and how the pastors dealt with it. So, I do have some very cool stuff. You know what's missing there is Haiti. i got to fix that slide. Haiti is not on there. Haiti was an interesting one. We went to do <laughs> Liberation Prayer to High-End Witch Doctor in Haiti. That was interesting. Okay, so that's missing. Anyhow, enough of the pedigree. Get this out of my face. Ah, there it is, the cover. So if you're listening in on Spotify, you're not seeing the cover, but it's the Advanced Spiritual Warfare book we're discussing here. Right? So there she is. 
Okay, so I'm talking about, we're going through chapter by chapter. Last week we went through Introduction to Deliverance Ministry. We covered deliverance, we covered exorcism, and we covered ritual abuse ministry, right? So now we're talking about sin in the soul. We're just going to go totally back up the train, go back to the beginning, and look what everything happened, how the soul behaved, how the soul fallen, what's a fallen state of the soul. We're going to look at that. That's what we're discussing here today. Chapter 2, Sin in the Soul. Let's dive in. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's what this whole thing's all about, right? And we're going to spend the next hour or so unpacking this. Here we go. So first thing I want to do down is what's called establishing Jesus as the creator of God, right? It amazes me how many Christians and Catholics walk in the door and they have demonic stuff going on, and they start quoting these other people they see, paranormal people. Well, Jesus has only been around 2,000 years, so I don't know how you could do this stuff that goes beyond that. These demons are older. These are Christians telling me this. These are, you know, I go, oh, Lordy, 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 Lord have mercy. Help me here. Lord, help me. So, some of you already know this, and I hope to God you do, but this is an eye-opener. Um, thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's explain this. Book of John. Verses 1 through 3, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created, right? So God is the Creator. Jesus Christ is the Creator. So what John is doing his gospel. He's establishing who Jesus is. No, Jesus wasn't just 2,000 years old. The correct answer is Jesus went to the cross over 2,000 years ago and was resurrected. But in the beginning, it's just like Genesis, right? What John's giving us about the gospel of John here is in the beginning, just like in Genesis 1, now he's saying in the beginning was the Word. Who? Jesus was the Word. I don't want to get into Remo and Logos, that sort of stuff, but, you know, unpack it. There's, let's just do it right now. There's living God, the written God, and the Spirit of God, right? All three of those. That is the Word. The living Word, the written Word, and the Spirit of God is consciousness, right? All things were created through Him and apart from Him. Not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus created everything. Even created the, the divine spirits that eventually became demons. He created those too. So people who mix voodoo with Christianity only see Jesus as being a person. This is inaccurate. Very inaccurate. If you don't understand what's going on here, spend some time, pause the video, and read that, and look, look back and forth over this. Um, was it Colossians? All things were created for him, by him. Was it Colossians 1.16? It's Jesus. Jesus was and is the Alpha and the Omega. Understand what that means, right? In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. In the end, when nothing's left, Jesus. Okay, so let's start talking about sin here. Now we kind of digested who Jesus is. It's important for spiritual warfare because Jesus is the one that heals. I'm going to say it time and time again. Deliverance ministers don't heal. Counselors don't heal. Jesus is the one that heals. So that's why I want to establish this. So sin. God is perfect. We are created in the image of God. We're going to talk about that in Genesis 
We're created in the image of God, and we are imperfect. Lesser than God, right? We are created as spiritual beings embodied in flesh. That's us human beings. God also created spiritual beings in the heavenly realms. That's what I'm talking about here, right? I'm talking about the difference between angels and divine spiritual beings. They're all divine spiritual beings that's created in the heavenly realms. All spiritual beings are created by God with free will. Just like us, the spirit, divine spiritual beings have free will. The spiritual beings were also created in an image lesser than God. God is a God of love, and He permits us to make our own decisions. And His spiritual creations, being less than perfect, are capable of making imperfect decisions, using our free will, which can lead us to disobedience to God. So using our free will, we can disobey God, which is what? A sin, right? Sin is the result of bad decisions we make and behaviors we embrace using our free will that go against God's will for us. Sin has consequences for disobedience, and we know God grieves our sinful actions because He loves us, right? He's like a parent. He gets upset when we do something wrong, or like, how did they do that? Like, man, I don't know how they made that decision. We pump so much into them, right? Well, God's not saying that, but I'm just giving the human side of it, right? When Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were banished from Eden and cursed by their actions consequences. Every loving parent gives consequences, right? That's what God does here. We got spanked. We got spanked hard in this one. That was something. That was, no, 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 no. Don't touch that tree over there. I told you not to, right? We got scolded big time. So, God is a God of love, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, right? So, before we tackle sin, let's examine why God created mankind in the first place. Why? Are we even necessary? Scripture reveals that God is relational and a God of love. In order for God to demonstrate His love, He needed to create something to love. Right? God created a heavenly realm full of spiritual creatures. He calls sons of God and divine beings. Make note of this. You'll see it in the Old Testament a lot. The divine beings are called sons of God. Right? He's called them a family. His spiritual beings up there are His family. They are the sons of God. Are you catching this? God is a God of love. He, want, he created a family around himself. That's part of what they're doing. They're all part of a God's spiritual family and government in heaven. God also created a physical realm, our universe, inhabited by spiritual creatures embodied in flesh, called mankind. So we're spiritual beings, but we're in flesh, right? We're mankind. God created Adam and Eve to demonstrate his love for us. God's plan for us was to co-participate, co-counsel, co-rule the earth with him. Not only would we co-rule, but we would be in his presence, right? We're going to take a look at Eden. Eden is some geographical, geophysical, spiritual, physical realm intersection that happened on earth, right? Eden was on earth, but earth wasn't Eden. Does that make sense? We know there's a geophysical location or geographical location because there was four water bodies that was pointed out by, if um, Moses was the author of Genesis, then he, he identifies a location Say, hey, it was geographical, it was here, but it was also a spiritual realm where spiritual creatures walked with Adam and Eve. God walked with them. Um, these divine spirits walked with them. We know, the, we know the serpent was there. Um, we know from, was it Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28, which we'll get to when discussing the, the, the divine being that has the title Lucifer, he walked through the garden, right? An evil spirit walked through the garden. So keep this in mind. That's he, he created Eden for us to all coexist there. And I, most of the Bible, we look at it's rebuilding Eden, right? As we go through Revelation, that's the whole point. 
Eden fell, and in the Revelation, Eden rebuilt, Eden restored. So Ephesians 1.4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Right? He chose us. He That means he had foreknowledge of our existence. He had a plan. Right? He knew that we'd be in existence. So he chose us to be with him. He chose us that we would choose him to be with him eternally. So Jesus Christ was the only true sacrifice and atonement for our sins. This is something very important. Right? Keep this in mind. For God so loved the world, they gave His only begotten Son. Again, there's some important words going on there. He gave us His only begotten Son. What does that mean? That there's a titleship or headship coming down from heaven, the begotten Son of God, right? That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? Jesus came down to earth, incarnate, and He was carrying something. He's still carrying His, his God title there. He, he didn't lose it because He left heaven. Okay, God's nature is love. Even though mankind was and still is in complete rebellion against him, right? Look at it, look at the politics going on. Mankind is still in rebellion against God. Even from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, God loves us. Despite what's going on, he you know, he's trying to help us out. Guys, you know, figure this stuff out. Go towards me. You can't manage this world yourself. It's too much. Satan tried it. Even Satan couldn't do it. Right? We know that probably from the the dark transition between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, right? Because God loves us, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the full brunt of His wrath and judgment in our place. Jesus went to the cross in love and obedience to His Father in heaven. Okay, let's dive in here. Here we go. We're starting to get things started. God created man in his image. God created two kinds of spiritual beings. Divine spiritual beings, including the angelic, in the heavenly realm, and spiritual beings embodied in flesh, mankind, in the physical realm, right? Two separate realms. An invisible, unseen heavenly realm, and the visible physical realm, which we reside in. We see ocean, water, plants, people, stars. Both spiritual beings and mankind were created in His image. The purpose of all our existence is to be a family with God and co-rule with God. But the spiritual divine beings and mankind, both of us, right? We were created to be a big family. That's why we're going eternally to live with Him. Right? we got to work our junk out down here to become more like Jesus. We were created in His image, but we're not exactly perfect images of Him, and that's part of the sanctification process to become more like Him. We have to improve our image. Okay, quick notes on divine beings and angels. From what God reveals in His Word, we can tell that God apparently wanted to create an everlasting supernatural heavenly kingdom. It has a hierarchy with a government and even commerce. Celestial or divine beings hold offices and positions in heaven. Some divine beings guard the throne and other creatures called angels do marvelous things in God's spirit realm. Right? They, they deliver messages or deliver miracles to back and forth. There are even rulers and powers in God's kingdom. What exactly they do is not clear to us. All right? there's, there's a whole mystery here, stuff going on. That's what I want to unpack. I kind of shifted vocabulary. You guys are seeing this. Some spirits are invisible. We don't see it all. They just stay up in their, 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 their princely positions and stuff like that, or their, their kingdom positions, so we won't see them. 
and they're not angels, they're not messengers, but they're spiritual beings, um, spiritual royalties, and it's all family members, right? We're all family. So I want to throw in this twist now as I present this material that we're, we're dealing with spiritual divine beings. And you'll start seeing it throughout the Bible too, especially Old Testament. It, it's there. It's, it's all there. It's going to be an eye-opener. So Mike's not throwing stuff in there. It's not there. You go, wait a minute. There it is right there. There it is. There it is. Yes, it's there. It's just for some reason the Western Church pulpit, we just watered it down, got rid of it because it didn't fit our academic theology. And that's wrong. What is clear in the revelation we receive about heaven through scripture is that God wants his spiritual creations to work with him. We know this, right? He wants his creatures to participate with him in carrying out his eternal plans. We see in scripture there are divine councils that work with God and are seated by the sons of God, divine creatures, or Elohim, divine beings. Um, if you get like a look online to the uh, New English translation, I think it's there. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 32.8. You'll see a divine council. Um, Psalm 82, you'll see divine counsel. Oh, where is it in Kings? There's a one, I'm going to replay back where the, uh, was it King Ahab and the other king got together and the one king was mad. I can't ever find a prophet that's going to tell me something that's true. So he sends out, go find this prophet. And the prophet gives us something um, about how he's talking about a council in heaven. Well, God's going, you know, somebody do something about these prophets down there. And uh, one spirit steps forward and goes, I will be a lying spirit. And God goes, okay, go, good. Right? There's a, there's a heavenly council going on. This stuff's not made up or it's not a new new version. It's, it's there. It needs to be unpacked. You know, what is going on? Uh, so some of you got your research out, out for you. Go look at this stuff. It's crazy. It's there. God created spiritual beings with free will. All of them. Satan and the angels that fell. They had free will. They chose to rebel against God. We're not mindless slaves to God, right? That's the God of love. We are allowed to make our own decisions even if they're wrong. God's highest-ranking celestial being, titled Lucifer, started an angelic rebellion in heaven because he wanted to go. We wanted to be God, right? The celestial being, titled Lucifer, sinned through pride, greed, envy, the pursuit of power, and rebellion. When the rebellion failed, Lucifer and one third of the divine beings, the ones that followed him and sinned, including rulers, princes, and armies, which are the demons, were expelled from heaven. Okay, so we see right there. We don't even know if it's. One third of them. There is a. All you need to remember is there's a finite number. This isn't yin and yang. Um, Jesus versus the devil. Um, it's not like that. Jesus is so far above. He's a creator, right? Jesus can just snap his finger and eliminate the devil. So it's not a yin and yang thing. Where okay, we have this 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 constant struggle. In fact, Satan's powers are limited. He's he's a divine being. He's not God. Satan can't be omnipresent. He can only be. Um, Possible understand is one place at a time, right? Like us. So keep that one in mind. That's why he's armies, right? To do his bidding. Two-thirds of God's angels remain loyal to him in his heavenly realm. So we know there's some sort of exorbitant amount that far exceeds. God is never alone. His angels surround him. Even if the divine spirits, the angels, didn't exist, he is a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The spiritual being called man certainly wasn't needed by God. So why was it necessary to create us, right? Or not? He didn't need us. He could totally exist by himself, the, the, the triune God, right? He didn't need angels or divine beings. He didn't need us. So let's look at Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him, right? 
So you notice the language here too. There's sons of God and son of man. I think Ezekiel uses son of man. It's framed in a sense that the sons of God are eternal, and when it refers to son of man, it means there's a mortality to them, right? They're 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 in flesh, which is interesting because Jesus is referred to son of man in the Bible. I think that refers to Jesus coming to earth in mortal flesh, right? You're going, what the heck's going on here? Why isn't he a son of God? Why isn't he? Um, William Pack, the, the second temple Hebrew, I believe that's what's going on with that. And again, that's information like that you'll find in Michael Heiser's book. Good stuff. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over me, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created a man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created. Keep in mind, too, with the let us, um, we know that from Job, was it 32, 38, where it talks about the sons of God, were there at the, the creation, the foundations of the earth. I believe that is the us in this picture. Again, that's covered by Dr. Michael Heiser, too, with the second temple people believed. I you know, before we thought it was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but you know, it makes more sense that it's, is Jesus the Father, the Son, right? And divine counsel led us, so we were created in the image of spiritual beings. I believe that's what's going on here. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff here. It's hypothetical, theological. You have to unpack it. It's, you know, we can't just say get on the pulpit. And go, this is what this is. We don't. We're trying to understand it. Um, it's not that it's out of our reach. It's just we're trying to. We went off on a hyperbole, I think, with the Western Church, and we're just trying to tie it back in. What did the Second Temple people believe? You know, because that's a little bit more accurate when we're unpacking this stuff. Here we go. I jumped ahead of myself. Let us make man in our image. We need to ask ourselves, who is the us and the our? Are there is significant evidence that Second Temple Hebrew beliefs were that God is referring to a divine creature council here? We know from Job that the divine beings were present when God laid the foundations of the creation. Right. So our image is that of a spiritual being. We're definitely an image of God, but a lesser image, right? We can't do what God does. We're capable of creating, but we can't create from nothing. We can't turn water into wine without using some sort of high-end technical stuff or chemistry lab. We just can't will it. Um, we can't be greater than the Creator, as we're saying here. We're an image. We're created less than Him, but we're not greater than Him. We're lesser than Him. We're lesser than Him in an image. We're lesser than Him as Creators. That's why we can't ever keep streets fixed, right? When we build a street, we build buildings, they decay, right? We're not. We can create, but we, we have our limitations. Dominion and obedience. God's plan for mankind was to be in relationship with Adam and Eve. God also intended for Adam and Eve to co-rule the earth with him. God granted dominion to rule both Adam and Eve, right? So they were given some sort of title here. God told man to subdue the earth. Dominion is a legal title which has headship, authoritative, and governing attributes to it. Through the bloodline of Adam, most specifically his rib, right? So remember this? Eve received the title of headship. She came from his flesh and blood, so she received it too. Adam and Eve held the keys to the earth. They were in charge. So I want you to make clear here too, as a counselor too, it didn't say that Adam subdued Eve, right? <laughs> it doesn't say that. Adam and Eve were co-rulers. Let that sink in. There's another head spinner. Under Jesus, they were the legal governing body of the earth. 
Dominion and legality over the earth are the major themes that start in Genesis 1 and come under dispute in Genesis 3. The conflict in Genesis 3 continues throughout the Old and New Testament. It comes to a head in Luke 4 with the temptation of Jesus by Satan. It is in Luke 4 that Satan reveals he has dominion over the earth. Okay, so we were created in his image. We were created to co-rule. We were literally given the keys to the planet. You guys will rule this thing. You'll subdue it. And... You know, you'll co-rule this thing with me, God. And so, when Adam and Eve fell, and we'll talk about this here, they handed over their headship to be slaves to Satan. And that's how Satan acquired the dominion, right? So, again, it's something God can take back. It's interesting he doesn't take back gifts, right? I think when God gave us dominion, he still had the higher piece of dominion, right? Uh, you know, kind of like a, a king training a prince, right? Well, I'll give you this little country over here to rule, but you're not getting the whole thing. So even though Satan's going, I got it, I got it, I got the earth, it was like it was this little piece of something that even God could have snapped his fingers and took back from him. But he had a plan for us, right? He had a plan all along. Like a good parent, we had to get spanked and learn our lesson, if we ever did. The temptation of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Was the tree of knowledge of good and evil a trial that Adam and Eve failed, right? God's going to test you out here. And Remember, he has, he has foreknowledge. He'll know, he knows he's going to fail. We were given free will, but God also demanded obedience from Adam and Eve, right? So we have free will, but God also wants obedience from us. We could choose to obey, and we could choose to disobey. Disobey has consequences that aren't always fun. So we could choose to obey or disobey his commands and submit to his authority. We know it's best to submit to his authority just because he's a loving God, right? It's not like, we must submit. That's what people outside Christianity, oh, look at you guys, you're submitting to an invisible God. That's what we choose to because we have a relationship with him. We know he's real. Because he's invisible, we know he's alive, right? So, we know from Genesis that in the midst of the garden were two trees. The tree of life, good, ding, 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 and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, bad. All right? We are told to stay away from that. So here we go, Genesis 2, 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from that you surely will die. Okay, there it is, consequences, right? Command, stay away from it, don't eat it, and when you do, there's consequences. You will die. We'll discuss that too. Spiritual death and physical death, right? There was two forms of death that came with this. Original sin and the fall of mankind. So, the original sin began with the divine being, the serpent, deceiving the woman in the Garden of Eden. Rewind here, right? The serpent was a divine being. Possibly, it was Satan. We don't know. It, it, indicators point that way. But it wasn't called out. It wasn't called out as Satan in there. It was called the serpent. So it, possibly, we don't know. Like stuff we don't, that's the Heaven 101 or 102 class. Maybe the Heaven 201 class, we learn that stuff, right? <laughs> we go, what the heck's going on here? We do know it was an evil divine being that deceived her, right? Because God doesn't deceive. Um, evil spirits are deceptive. So once again, this uh, mystical garden, right? It has one foot in the spirit realm and another in our physical reality. God and his divine beings walked through this garden with Adam and Eve. The garden was a supernatural, heaven-like manifestation on earth. Eden was a spiritual place on earth with geographical location. Earth was not Eden 
but Eden was on earth. Remember that, right? Because a lot of times we get these things like, for earth is Eden. It wasn't. Eden was just a cool place here on earth that God set up for, I don't know, a transitional place, <laughs> right? Right. Spiritual and the physical can interact. So, and we got booted out of it and we messed that neighborhood up. The fall. The recount of the fall of man in the book of Genesis tells of a serpent in the tree of knowledge of good and evil speaking to the woman Eve. So I believe the serpent to be the divine creature now titled Satan. Okay, that's why I'm leaning with it. I'm leaning this with the sis. Because in the Apostle John's book of Revelation, Satan is called the dragon, a serpent. That's in Revelation 12 9. I remember, I was teaching cleansing streams class. So I always get these people that, you know, they, they think they know a little piece of something, they argue with you. And here you are, you're in dark warfare, seeing these manifestations of demons attacking and stuff and manifesting in people and all this weird stuff. And you're trying to explain to them, you know, I believe the serpent was Satan. And then somebody comes in, well, how the, how could that possibly be? The serpent had legs and all this stuff. And they just go on and on and on about their false knowledge or something they read. And there was something to put it up on YouTube. And you're just going, oh my God, really? Really? Um, okay, well, have fun with that. But yeah, it, I think we're, we're, it's safe to lean towards that the serpent that spoke to Eve, the divine being, the evil divine being that spoke to Eve was Satan. I believe it was. Definitely under the charter of him if it wasn't. The behavior of the serpent and his contradicting of the word of God is also a clear indicator that it, this was Satan, right? He just, that's not what God said, really? Ah, man, don't worry about it. Nah, that won't happen. You won't die. Surely you won't die. Look how Satan twisted God's commands when he spoke to Eve. Obviously, Eve isn't shocked by the spiritual creature. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And that's Genesis 3.1, right? He's, he's twisting. You shall not eat from this? Come on. Look how good it looks. This stuff's tasty. Look at this. Try it. Try one. Try one. Oh, go, God. I love these. My mom makes pies out of them. Try one. You know, he's, he's, he's selling it. So Satan responded by twisting the word as God said. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's something embedded in here that's just dark, right? So what sort of good and evil is she going to learn? We know that it's not good good, right? If it's truly good, it comes straight from God. But there's a lesser good, right? Take, for instance, I always poke at this one too as a, as a thing about good and evil. Abortion. It's, it's pro-choice. The woman has the right to choose. It's good for her body, right? That's an evil good. But that's the sort of stuff that comes from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, you know, what's the good? It's a bad good. It's a non-blessed good from God. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff, you know. It's just, we can go on with politics and stuff, you know. This is good, you know. It's, that's what the good and evil is. And their eyes were wide open to it. So they started making good decisions that were contrary to God's good decisions, and that's what came from this. And these divine spirits, I guess, the evil ones, had ate from it or something. I don't know. We don't know. That's Again, that's 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 a heaven 201 class when we get there. The deceiving words of Satan penetrated Eve's consciousness, right? She's pondering it. The fiery darts of temptation now burned through her mind. What was a secret knowledge that God had deliberately held back from her? Eve gave in to seek the ungodly knowledge. Eve lusted for the secret knowledge, right? When the woman saw the tree was 
good for food. Oh, see, it's shifting already. And that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. It's Genesis 3.6, right? So they're shifting their thoughts in good. Well, this is good. It looks good, but it's not God good, right? Catch that. That's very important. Eve allowed herself to be deceived by Satan. She fell into committing a transgression against God. Right? It's, it, it was a transgression that was against her. We know this from 1 Timothy 2, 13-14. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Whoa. That's an interesting call-out, right? I know this can get twisted in so many ways, but I just want you to... Right? Oh, in church. I should go to a Baptist church and throw this one out there and just see what they, they do. It's, <laughs> this can get so twisted. But I just want you to see that it was a transgression because it was Eve who was deceived. We all fell, right? It's not just, I'm just blaming Eve. No, but God held it on her, too, that she made a decision. She was a co-ruler, right? So she had to have a, um, a sizable you know, consequence, and she fell into transgression. Not good. Handing over dominion to Satan, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they subjugated themselves and all mankind over to the Lord of Death, who? Satan, the divine being titled Satan. This included their headship, authority, and dominion from God. Satan acquired all the kingdoms of the earth. We see this from Luke 4. That's how it happened. That's, that's how this whole thing, well, how did Satan get all this stuff? It happened here. We know from the Gospels, Jesus says you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve both God and the, the, the Father of lies, or the Lord of death. And so when they disobeyed God, they were became slaves. They were enslaved, right? Satan doesn't go, hey, come on, you can cool rule me. That's not Satan. Satan's going, bow down to me. Oh, what you got there? Give that to me. Give me your headship, your title. I strip you of everything. That's, that's, that's what happened. And now they're mine. Spiritual and physical death. The souls of Adam and Eve were no longer Christ-centric, right? They weren't aligned to seeing Jesus. They were now misaligned and spiritual to the world. Ouch. The human spirit became separated from God, right? Spiritual death. When you're separated from God, that's spiritual death there. That's what's going on, right? Until the Holy Spirit comes back into us and reborn, we're spiritually separated from God. So through their disobedience, the curse of physical death was also placed on all mankind for future generations. Whatever that looks like. We know that some of those guys lived like 900 years in Genesis, right? And then it got tighter and tighter, and then, I don't know, down to 70 or 80 years, whatever it is. But it's quite possible Adam and Eve could live forever. In fact, there's a comment in Genesis 3 where I think God's talking about a good thing they didn't eat from the tree of life because they've been permanently stuck in the state of fallenness, which is interesting. That's something else to, that's, I guess that's the Heaven 301 PhD class to <laughs> attend and find out what was that about. Anyhow, yeah, so let's, let's go on. So we have spiritual death now and we have physical death. Spiritual death, separation from God. When you are born, and the doctor is clipping the umbilical cord, you are born in a spiritual death and you are separated from God. You must be reborn. That's what we're trying to explain to Nicodemus, right? And of course, we have a finite lifespan now, which is which is um, physical death. We, we're mortal. We're the son of man, right? We, are, we have mortality. We die. So those are two major consequences that came across. Not the only, but two of the major. 
Therefore, just as one man in sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, right? So that's, that's telling us, well, that's one of the curses. Death and sin entered through one man, Adam, right, into the world. And so it spread to all of us. Sin spread to all of us. That's why we have that inherited sin. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. That's where we're at. The entire bloodline of the human race, through the ruling titles of man and woman, were enslaved in the curse. The original sin was all inherited sin to all mankind. So original sin was inherited to all mankind. We see this here. That's the scripture. Romans 5.12 tells us this. It went to all of us. At that moment in the garden, we were all cursed to become slaves to mankind's new master, Satan, right? We know this from ritual abuse. We know this from Satanism. You know, there's no there's no choir volunteers. There's no you know, helper volunteers for Sunday school. Everybody's a slave. You are a slave. They're, that's the way it is. So physical death. Again, man must be purchased back from his slave master. God loved us even though we disobeyed him in the garden. God promised us that he would redeem us. Redemption is an old phrase used in the slave trade, right? To be redeemed means you were purchased, right? So it's mean to purchase there. God redeemed us at the cross through the price of the ultimate sacrifice of the blood of his son, Jesus. Right? Only Jesus could pay that price. Nobody else. And we'll discuss why here. God made the first promise of sending his son to undo what Satan did in the garden. Right? Here's one of the first prophecies in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 3.15 I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Right? So that's a prophetic word there from God when he's about ready to throw us out of the garden. You know, what you did was wrong, there's consequences, and now I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, down to, you know, for you guys up. I'm going to, he's going to have, we're going to have to fix things. There, there's a way out. There's a path out here. There's a way out from this enslavement, and it's my, going to be my son, Jesus Christ. I'm not sending him right away, but he'll be coming. And he is going to bruise him on the heel. He's going to nail, he's going to nail Satan. Right? All right, cool. God's prophecy fulfilled. And we know that God came through on his promise over 2,000 years ago at the cross in Calvary. He fulfilled this, right? So we get to see the beginning and the end of that situation. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, 18, right? Jesus had it back. So whatever Satan had, it was ripped out of his hands. Ah, right? Give it back to me. It's not yours. Never was his. <laughs> Wasn't his to have. Okay, so let's take a look at inherited sin. Inherited sin is the curse we received directly from our lineage back to Adam and Eve, right? Because one man sinned, it will spread to all men. That's what this is, right? We saw it in Romans. Because Adam and Eve literally handed their dominion over to the prince of death, all mankind ever born, and to be born is subjugated to the curse of being born in a fallen spiritual state. We are void of being connecting with God. At birth, our soul enters this cursed world with a natural propensity to lean towards evil thoughts and actions that are void of Jesus' will. You ever notice that? We're not doing much, but we could, our mind could easily lean towards evil thoughts and to do wrong. And it's just because it's our fallen state. It's in us, and we have to battle it. It's part of the sanctification. 
Our heart and minds are still grafted to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We are bond servants to Satan. The consequence of original sin is death. It is inherited sin that causes our bodies to decay and die. Physical death, right? This is the original generational curse, which can only be broken by being reborn in Jesus Christ. You guys catch that? And when you accept Jesus, that, that inherited sin curse is broken off us. And we spend the rest of our lives dealing with our own junk. Imputed sin in the law. Okay, before we talk about inherited sin. Inherited sin, we just get that from our, our genealogy, right? It does no, it's, it's cursed. And when we accept Jesus, it's broken off. Now we have imputed sin. means a transfer of sin from one man to another, which means we inherit the same judgment as Adam for the original sin. Adam's original sin is imputed through generations. So we have something else here going down through generations, right? It's handed from man to man to man to man. You're going, what is going on here, right? <laughs> Thought we had inherited sin. What's imputed sin? There's an interesting twist to this story, and we'll get to it. Why? Guess, guess who's going to be the final imputer, right? Yeah, you guessed it. From Adam and Moses, the sin of every man primarily fell under inherited sin, right? From Adam to Moses, it was primarily inherited sin. So... The ultimate penalty for their sinful nature was death, right? They'd eventually just die off. When God had Moses introduce the law to his people, the consequences of sin were twofold. One, inherited sin from the original sin, and now imputed sin from breaking the law. What? Okay, there's rhyme and reason. God's pretty smart here. Under the law, sins that were committed against the law were imputed specifically to the sinner. When Moses introduced the law, the wages of sin were death, both from inherited original sinful nature and now transgressions against the law, which is imputed sin. Okay? Hmm, what's going on here? There's a build up here. There's a reason to this. Why did God introduce this and why were the consequences of sin now twofold? God now used the law and the concept of imputed sin to transfer sin from one man to another to bring about our salvation and redemption, right? I could pass off this law, which means I'm imputed sin. Somebody could serve the sentence for me. Huh. Yep, Jesus on the cross. That's what it is. Jesus Jesus was our imputer for our sins, right? So that's how he brought about redemption. Interesting. So everybody's going, why was the law so harsh? Why did it come about? Why Because nobody could obey the law, right? Nobody could. Nobody could. Um, but the whole point was, we can through the law, we had imputed sin which could transfer to Jesus Christ at the cross. Wow. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Uh-huh, right? Nevertheless, death reigned for Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of Adam who is to come. So, the second Adam would come and take the sins. Adam's sin was going to be imputed to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's from Romans 5, 12 through 14. Only one man ever born in history was not under the curse of original sin, Jesus Christ. The only way for Jesus to be born free of the curse was through the Holy Spirit bringing life to Mary's womb. This was a supernatural event. Jesus wasn't conceived, right? How is this? Jesus' living word was either spoken or thought into the physical realm into Mary's womb. 
I work with um, ritual abuse survivors. They have a hard time thinking that, you know, because of the twisted things they've been through, that the Holy Spirit had sex with Mary and intercourse to conceive, or he conceived, right? And the answer is no. Um, this was supernatural. Um, the Lord spoke existence into the womb. That's one way of putting it, right? There is no contact, no touching, <clears throat> which is how the Satanists want to twist it and program people. That's not at all. It just spoke life, you know. Jesus, you're going to be born through Mary or something. You know, I will myself. Howard, Jesus did it. He was spoken into her womb, and then she was pregnant. So we don't have the details. In the manner Jesus was, he was born sinless and was born and lived a sinless life. He wasn't guilty of the transgressions of sin brought against mankind. So the thing is here, we had to have a sinless birth uh, of non-inherited, non-imputed sin. The only way to do it was for God to intervene the bloodline and jump in. But he didn't. You know, he definitely came from the lineage of kings. So it gave him the titles of it, especially from Mary. So when he came in, he his birth was void of inherited sin from Adam because he didn't come through the natural DNA, if that makes sense. There's a curse through DNA. So using God's DNA, he, he intercepted that and bisected it. Interesting. Tough stuff here. So because Jesus was born, lived a sinful life, he wasn't guilty of transgressions of sin brought against mankind, right? This is the beginning of the process of reconciliation with mankind. Being sinless, not guilty of the crimes, means the sins can be imputed to Jesus Christ on the cross. On the cross, the Father in heaven imputed the consequences, God's wrath, onto Jesus as if he were guilty of all the sins, collectively committed by all mankind, from Adam to the end of time, so from our, from the past to the future tense, um, Jesus Jesus covers us, right? Because I wasn't born over 2,000 years ago. You know, I was only born a couple, you know, five decades ago. So that I had to have a blanket covering. You had to have a blanket covering. That's what this is. So we're they're imputed. So the very last man to walk on earth is covered, right? You know, you don't want to be the very last man walking on earth. That'd be lonely, right? <laughs> like, well, anyway, he's covered. Jesus took all our sins upon himself so we could present it righteous and blameless before our Heavenly Father. We receive the heavenly pardon by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and acknowledge the work he did for us on the cross. Reconciliation. That's all we have to do on our part. Wow, Jesus did this. Jesus did this for me. That is what we're after. And that's, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Acknowledge it. And that starts a process of reconciliation. More on imputed sin in Jesus. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteous of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21. Right? We're, we're to be ambassadors of Christ. We're images of him, right? We're not God, but we're, we're images. We're lesser. We're the ambassadors. So catch that again. Again, we're imagers. As ambassadors, we're imagers of God. Ooh, temptation in our own sin. Oh, here we go. So we covered inherited sin, and we covered imputed sin. Now let's talk about our own sin. Here we go. So that's number three. Now let's take a look at the big one, our own sin. Here we're going to discuss our own free will and how it afflicts our soul and opens toeholds and doorways to the enemy. When it comes to our own personal sin, we need to repent for our actions and our sinful behaviors. 
These include addiction, anger, pornography, sexual perversion, alcoholism, emotional outbursts, and any other desires of the flesh. Right? Sinful behaviors. A lot of times people, I mentioned before in the last one, people in deliverance ministers, they want, they have sinful behaviors, they want to be delivered from them. The best thing to do is to work on the trials God's put in front of you. And people are like, why are these things happening to me? Oh my God, has God forsaken me? A lot of times God will put you in trials on your own sin to purge you through fire and push you through it. But people have the these weak souls that don't want to do it. Oh, you know, we have these entitlement souls nowadays, right? More and more people are entitled like, why didn't God just deliver me? That's entitlement, right? Um, it's We have to work on our own junk and Jesus is going to walk us out. And once you're walked out, you know, you repent of it. And that that's how it gets delivered from you. Repenting is changing your heart. Changing your heart means you've also worked on the behaviors. You've gone through purging of the fire to change that behavior, to change that attitude. You know, we just can't change it on a dime. Oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, that helps. Like, if you constantly screw up while you're going through trials, God, God, forgive me, you know, and be sincere about it. That's part of repenting. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a walk out with Jesus. It's a lot of times just an, I'm sorry. You know, why did I do this again? Because you weren't working the, the, through the trial that God's putting you in to push this garbage, these sinful behaviors, right? A lot of times it's more counseling. I, I have people coming for counseling. Mike, I hear deliverance minister and exorcist. Can you please just cast this demon out of me? What is it? It's pornography. <laughs> Dude. Uh, no, you got to walk out of this one, man. You chose pornography. You let it in. So you have to choose to get it out and work it out. It's not going to be easy. It is what it is. So repentance. Repentance means a change of heart and that we feel remorse for our sinful actions. There are times a heart doesn't change immediately, but makes very slight adjustments towards repentance. Right? That's what I'm talking about. It's a walkout. Um, interesting thing here, because we're we're also talking about satanic ritual abuse. You know, in this book, satanic ritual abuse survivors have no foundation in true family life. They only know how to stir up a fight in their family, right, and, and cause chaos. I noticed in the, all the survivors I worked with, they had no tools in reconciliation and repentance. They don't know what that means or how to do it. A lot of times they have parts that will punish them inside if they attempt to repent because the Satanism part also purges repentance. So you'll see some weird actions when you try to get a ritual abuse survivor to try to repent. They'll either have some other parts come up and chew you out or they don't have a clue how to repent. A lot of times I work walk a lot of these people through repentance and counseling. You know, it's, it's, it, it is what it is. Sanctification. That's part of the walkout process. This is how Jesus heals. I actually call these trials. Um, that's what Paul calls them too. But sanctification is um, when God is working on your heart and soul, it may take some time to work things out, right? Jesus is walking you out, usually through trials, trials and changing things in your heart. This soul-changing process is called sanctification. God transforms the soul from glory to glory. And many times this walk can be very uncomfortable, emotional, and long in duration. A soul that is going through corrective tribulations needs spiritual direction and not deliverance. There are people who come to me wanting deliverance from their pornography addiction. I mentioned that, right? That's an example. Or drug addiction. I've had that too. And sometimes drug addiction will work if their heart is repented, but they're stuck in it. Sometimes I've seen where God has delivered people from drugs. They want a magic prayer to set them free, and they don't want to take responsibility for their own soulish desires, right? So that's that's what we have to be aware of in deliverance ministry. Um, I'm, I've seen a lot of times, too, that the deliverance comes through changing behavior. Probably about 90% of it, right? We give demons too much credit. 
So, and here too, um, I want to mention again too, so we're, we're on the topic of exorcism, deliverance, and satanic ritual abuse. What satanic ritual abuse survivors are going through is sanctification, but there's thousands of parts, right? Um, the whole deal is we got to lead these parts of Jesus, and I'll discuss that. So God gave, even though a, a soul is fragmented into thousands of little soul pieces, a little, op, you know, I call it little rogue operating systems parts or, or rogue programs, they all have free will because they were shattered from a soul that has free will, and they have to be walked back to Jesus. There's no miraculous prayer. It's like uh, Jesus showing up saying, how many of you want to follow me, right? And some will follow and some will rebuke him. And that's just, that's just what the process is. So it, satanic ritual abuse is a very difficult sanctification process that requires counseling and people to walk out. And you'll find out some people don't want to be walked out, even though they, you know, they, I, want, I want to end this, but they don't want to put the work in to do it. So, like I said, that's that's why I only work with people who are right in front of me now. I don't work with people over the phone or or people over Skype. You know, it just it, there's too many variables that are out of control. So I'm just putting a disclaimer there. But yeah, when you see somebody with the satanic ritual abuse, they, they claim that they this this is a long sanctification process. It, what I tell them is, if they're Christian, they're saved, and all their fractured parts are saved. And this is a mind boggle for a lot of people until you've seen it. God doesn't take pieces of a soul to heaven. He's going to take all of it. So what we're working on is an inner healing sanctification with the rest of the parts because they all do come to Jesus, but there's a lot of stuff that have to be walked out through counseling. And that's why deliverance doesn't work here at all, at all. Um, everybody that comes to me, I say, the first thing you're going to do is you're not going to ever see a deliverance minister ever again for a while. You're sitting in front of one. You know, if a demon comes up, I'll deal with it. And we have. In certain cases, I have. In certain cases, I haven't done deal with demons at all. I usually lead a part to Christ, and that part goes back and <laughs> kicks out the demons on their own during our session. It's it's cool, miraculous stuff we see. So it's, it is it is what it is here. You know, it's just live and learn. We get wisdom through this, and Jesus gives us more revelation every day. So I'm beating up pornography again. Pornography, addiction, and sexual perversion are sanctification issues, not deliverance issues. I get men coming to me all the time. I've said this scripture, that scripture, and all this and all that. And I go, yeah, you're not trusting Jesus to, to walk you out of it. You know, that's the, you could throw scripture at it all day. If you don't trust Jesus to heal you, it's not going to happen. So it just also tells them, too, in spiritual direction where they're, where they're at with Jesus and their relationship. So if a demon is present and tormenting the soul's behavior, then it's a different story, right? If you get a manifestation, blah, 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 I'm the one doing this to him, blah, 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 blah. Um, then... Yeah, start kicking stuff out. Whenever a Christian comes to me seeking deliverance, I make them prove to me they have a demonic affliction. Number one. Um, it just... <laughs> I'd say over 85% of the people that came to me and said they had demons, didn't have them. It was a behavior problem. That's how widespread it is. But church, we always jump the gun now. It was interesting. Before, in 2006, when I was doing deliverance, oh, you deliverance ministers want to cast a demon out of every tree. You know, you go cast a demon out of tree, Matt. I might. There's one in there. That happened too. Um, but now it's like, you, it's flipped somehow to the far spectrum. Deliverance is the answer. What's the question? That's not right. Um, deliverance is a tool for exorcism and casting out demons. If the demons are present, use it. If it's not present, go towards inner healing, you know, and Christian counseling and whatever it takes. Many times they can't, and a deliverance minister must be the bearer of bad news, right? This is a behavior issue. These souls need spiritual direction and possibly even counseling, but their soul and heart must enter into repentance by asking the Lord for forgiveness. 
and then start the long journey of having Jesus walk them out of their addiction. Oh my goodness. I know you heard it mentioned before too. I, I pick on pornography because it's one of the most difficult addictions to deal with. You can have a person dealing with a crack addiction have a better day than a person with pornography because pornography is so embedded and infested in the mind. It's it you know it it's a tough one to walk out. So don't get involved with that stuff. Don't ever. But now since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit results in sanctification and the end is eternal life. Amen, right? So what's this tell you through, right? You've been redeemed, right? God God owns you now. It's better be enslaved to God than, than enslaved to Satan. You have your fruit, the results of your sanctification, and it results in eternal life, right? So there's some cool stuff going on here. Very cool stuff. Sin starts in our mind. From our inherited sin from Adam, our soul is naturally bent to the prince of this world, crafted the tree of knowledge of good and evil to disobey. The root of sin within us begins with a thought contrary to God's will or commands for us, right? When we saw it in the garden, we're told, stay away from that, that tree over there, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And the serpent shows up, ah, surely, that's contrary, right? Contrary to God. Surely you won't die. You'll be just like us. He's holding back on you. You ever figure that out? Right? So temptation is desire to do evil that belongs, begins inside of us, in our soul, our minds. Temptation originates in our soul. It's an urge to do evil, a spark in the soul that we must stoke into a flame to manifest in a sinful action. These sparks we stoke become ambers. They flame into lust. Does that make sense? So it starts as a thought, right? And we kind of like, it's a spark. Here comes a thought. Oh, you know, check out that girl over there, right? It just comes in. Whether it came in through a demonic, I've heard that too. Demons come, hey, take, check her out. You know, what? Or your just thought goes, hey, I'm thinking about women right now. It starts as a spark. So the devil didn't make you do it. It starts in our own mind. We got to take advantage, take a hold of it. So temptation originates in soul. It's an urge to do evil, right? And then it manifests. We stoke the thought. Wow, she is pretty good looking, huh? I'm going to go talk to her. Wait, you're a married man. You can't go talk to that woman. So it, it's turning to a sinful action. These sparks we stoke become an amber. It's lust, right? Lust isn't just sexual. It could be a power drive. It could be a, a lust for money and greed. So lust is just an unhealthy desire. Lust is a psychological, overwhelming desire that is not limited to sexuality. I'm using the term psychological here because I want to enforce it's our thoughts that spark sin and lust. The devil didn't make us do it. The devil can encourage or pester us to do it. But in the end, we own our sinful thoughts, lusts, and actions. Lust is a physical manifestation of sin in our soul. When we act upon desires of lust of power, sex, greed, revenge, or addiction, it is our soul that commits a sin. The devil didn't make us do it. The devil may have, may have helped us think us up, but he can't make us do it. That's why we must take every thought captive. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James 1, 14, 15. Amen. All right. So yeah, you can't blame other people. You can't blame the devil made me do it. Yep, you can't do that. Union with God, original sin, and trials. 
A soul that is in union with God desires not to sin, right? We talked about this in our St. Teresa of Avila, right? In our, our podcast on that. With our fallen nature of original sin, thoughts of temptation are inevitable. The latter are referred to as trials by God. Remember, as we talked about in St. Teresa of Avila. Remember I tell you, this stuff ties together. It all ties together. That's why I was doing it. It is God's way of bringing us to humility and sanctifying us, right? St. Teresa. As we advance in our relationship with Jesus, he will print trials on our soul. Trials at times are battles with temptations and behaviors. Some seem unbearable. He's going to forge us through fire. I've been through some unbearable ones. Believe me. Um, some even physically painful. It just, it's just crazy. It just God's going to get our attention. He just get through something. Run through that, run through that gauntlet. Let him, let him purge it through fire. The trial is an internal spiritual battle of the soul, an internal spiritual conflict within ourselves to battle ungodly behaviors such as lust, behaviors, addictions, pride, shame, guilt, and so forth. It's God's number one tool for sanctification. Why am I going through this? Why, why does I keep having these things of lust? Demons are doing this to me. I'm having this lust for money. I can't, can't help stop gambling. It's demons. No, it's not demons. It's you. I lost all my money. Okay, so God's putting a reset on you. You have no money. What are you going to do now? Do something about your gambling addiction, right? Um, his, his consequences are harsh. Some go, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. Grace and mercy. Well, you're still alive. You have grace and mercy there. And if you embrace the grace and mercy, it's going to be grace and mercy that walks you out of the situation you're in. You know, it's it's going to be harsh. But you look back at it, you go, oh, my God, only Jesus could have helped help me survive that. That's grace and mercy, right? Sometimes in these charismatic churches, we have this, oh, it's a wonderful ending. You know, it's a, he's just going to, he's just going to teleport me out of here. Um, he might. He could, but it depends where your heart's at then. Have you learned your lesson? Have you been forged through it? Um, if not, you're going to have a not-so-fun time. It's called a trial. And nobody's free or safe from trials. God uses in all of us to bring us to humility. Humility is where we learn a lot about how to correct our image in Christ. That's where it goes to. Shame is an illness that overwhelms the soul and will to separate from God. With sin present, the soul will choose to hide itself from God. Many times Christians believe the lie that they are evil and God won't speak to them. The truth is, God wants to speak to them, but their overwhelming wallowing in their own sins is punish, pushing them away from God's voice. Remember how the naked Adam hid himself from God? Guilt and shame. His soul lost alignment with the Holy Spirit and centered on his own flesh. When this occurs, the soul must realign through repentance and prayer as God allows our soul to repent for sin. We must never take God's divine gift of grace and mercy for granted. Right? He's going to help us. Grace and mercy. A little uh, insight here because I'm working on something recently with this. I had an individual that, that was um, has dissociative identity disorder and she's seeing shadows and all this stuff's going on. But in her mind, she had a child part that would lie about everything in life. And so this child part took on the assumption through shame that the shadows were showing up and tormenting her because she was a liar as a child. So first of all, she believed in the lie of the enemy, right? And and she pushed herself away from Jesus because she was a liar and Jesus wouldn't love her. And again, that was a lie. So we worked with this child part and we still are walking her out that Jesus loves her. And she's starting to see it now, right? The, the lie has been flipped. So you'll see this. It's I use as an indicator or a... An example of how the soul pushes itself away from Jesus. A lot of times there's ministers, Jesus has left me because I'm evil. No, you left Jesus. That's the truth. you got to get back to Jesus. Get back to him. But I can't. He's not talking to me. You're not talking to him. Right? And you start getting the truth coming out. 
oh, you're not going to talk to him? Yeah, if you're shunning him and stuff, he's just sitting there in grief, waiting for you to come back to him. That's what the story is. So, wow. Ministering to the soul. When people come to request deliverance ministry, make sure you understand what is going on with their soul. Their story, 80% of the time, doesn't match what is truly going on. Your first job is to discern what spiritually is going on, right? Your spiritual discernment, spiritual direction. Never start prayer ministry right away. It is common for people to curse themselves for being unrepentant, right? Is there something unrepentant going on? Look for it. Like I talk about that, that young girl. You know, I'm evil. You know, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. Well, we got to change the course here. I, I walked her through repenting and asking Jesus for forgiveness. And then she had to start walking through the fact that Jesus forgave her. And that was a hard thing for her to learn. So they are stuck. It's not in a demonic curse, but in a trial from God until they get it right. It's a trial, right? We can't deliver souls from God's trial. We can just spiritually direct them and listen to Jesus until they get off and going on their own, right? God permits demonic spirits to be involved in trials. Wow. This is a soul that won't take responsibility for its own actions. The first step in deliverance ministry is to discern where a soul is in a situation and if the soul is out of alignment with the Holy Spirit. Ask if they can hear from God. One of my favorite questions that divulges a lot about a soul's spiritual walk, right? What are you hearing from God? And that's how I found this little girl. Oh, I'm evil. Right? This little part came up right away. This little, she went from like a 40-year-old woman to like this 8-year-old girl. I saw it in her face. And she was crying and tearing and like she was, like she was cowering and hiding in a corner. So where are they with God? That's the number one question. Because a lot of times when they answer that question, it's going to give you 99% of the information you need to know about what's really, really going on. Don't listen to their story. It's going to pull us into alignment. You go, oh, I get what's going on here, right? So demonic affliction is the last option to consider unless they're already levitating in front of you or their eyes are rolling in the back of their head. There you go. A lot of times demonic manifestation isn't a true indicator of something being demonic unless you're feeling the discernment that it really is in your body, right? There's a demonic manifestation. You can feel them in your body. I once worked with a woman, my uh, my co-counselor brought me in. She goes, you got to see this. It's like she has this, um, it's like she's a demoniac at Garrison. It was turned out she was DID and possibly satanic ritually abused. But we do this thing and she got in the office and this woman started throwing the table around. She bit her own tongue, drew blood, and like this weird monster werewolf looking thing. And I go, stop it. Stop it right now. And she's like, demon. you're not a demon. And the whole Shiraj just put like the, the, the something down. She's going to throw at me and looked at me like, <laughs> she goes, you're the first ever ever <laughs> to, to know in deliverance ministry that I'm not a demon. So I knew it right away. I'm not feeling you. What are you? And then she broke down this little girl who was um, highly shunned in elementary school and sat and had lunch by herself. You sit and cry. So she turned herself into this big demonic monster to freak people out, right? So it's not always demonic. Discern it. And again, if you're working with satanic ritual abuse, your discernment has to be up 100%. Because you don't know what little parts are going to tell you, right? We used to... Actually, I still do. Every now and then when I get a child part, I'll have them draw a picture. And this one part came up and was writing a poem. And something discerning, like, this is really wrong. Because, you know, I'd read kind of like what they were writing. And all of a sudden, I came up with this poem. I read it. And I go, this looks like a hex. <laughs> <laughs> written in child's talk, right? Now, I'm not reading that, and this little devious eyes look at me like it was very evil, like, oh, you're very perceptive, right? But it wasn't a demon. It was like kind of like 
there was a demon present, but it wasn't that little part was just a witchcraft part, right? So you have to discern everything, especially with SRA. And a lot of times it isn't demonic in SRA. I say about 90% of the time it's not. Unless you receive somebody early on, you have to pull the demons and stuff out of them for a while to get to where they're at. You know, it is what it is. Listening prayer. The first step in deliverance is understanding where the soul focuses on the flesh. What is out of spiritual alignment and that is allowing or causing demonic affliction of the soul. Is there even a demon present? Number one question, right? Don't go there right away. Look for other things. How do you gain an understanding of what is going on with the soul? Here's a simple prayer. Um, this is something I use all the time. It's called listening prayer. Real simple. So we're stuck. We don't know what's going on. Parts aren't coming up, or you know, in a DID session, or you know, we don't have revelation on why this 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 demon just won't leave with a part, you know, or a person. Excuse me. Um, Jesus, could you please give us revelation? What is going on here? In the name of Jesus Christ, well, you know, give us revelation. Just pray that. And you may not get an answer right away, but it'll show up somewhere in the session. Or maybe the next day or something. Boom, it pops up. Like, hey, we were praying for that the other day. That's the answer. You know, So it's called listening prayer. You just throw it out there. and Hey, Jesus, help us out. We're stuck. And that's the way most of sessions are. You just have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We don't have all the answers. You know, you could have a PhD in therapy, and it's not going to prepare you for satanic ritual abuse. It just won't. Um, it's just you have to play it by the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, who he brought in front of you, why he brought in front of you, and what's going on, and lean on his miracles. And that's going to freak a lot of people out. But we've got a lot farther down the road with ritual abuse survivors and high-end therapists. So it's called listening prayer. Explain to people I'm working with. I don't expect an answer from them, right? We don't. That's why I tell them. I talk through people. I tell people I talk through you. So Jesus, what's going on here? You know, Jesus, show us. I put out there so Jesus can lead us down the path in the individual soul's healing ministry, right? We don't have the answers. Jesus does. Jesus heals. In the middle of the latter part of ministry session, you may see the answer unfold in front of you, right? We discussed that. The Holy Spirit is excellent about bringing direction in these, these sessions, always. I don't prepare for anything. I used to. Remember I used to prepare like a lawyer? Same thing, too. I used to bring my books and stuff for um, ritual abuse, like the prayer warriors' books and all that stuff for ritual. Eh, I didn't bring it anymore. Um, and I'll explain why, too, because some of them were tainted. Some of the, the occult got to some of these things. So listening prayer is the safest way to go. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm calling on my angels to go before me. Don't ever do that in any exorcism, deliverance, or satanic ritual abuse. That is dangerous. I've seen that a lot of charismatics. My angel's going before me and protect me. No, Jesus goes before you and protects you. You don't know if that's a false angel of light, and you don't have the ability to determine whether it is or not. So, <laughs> my word, you could do what you want. I'm just throwing out a word of warning. Oh my God, that's dangerous, and he is going to bite you in the booty big time. So, roll with the Holy Spirit only, um, and, and Jesus. So start learning to rely on prayer and Jesus because that's how miraculous manifests, right? There is no methodology in all this. That's the point I'm getting across. There's no methodology. If you're going to get these um, cleansing streams, it's ritual. Cleansing streams are ritual. It's a methodology. And I've seen it do more damage than good when we get these type of church things, these mass um, things, especially when dissociative identity disorders involve, which is 80% of the time when I taught cleansing stream class and the pastors couldn't fathom when I was taking it. Well, it's got to be demonic that. If they have, they're hearing voices, it's got to be demonic. No. Three sources of voices. One is our soul. Two is God. And three is spirits, right? We can hear them internally. And so 
what happens when it's the soul? You know, and we don't address that. Let's cast out demonic voices of the soul. They're not demons. Their their soul parts are angry. They got to be healed. It's counseling. It is what it is. So conclusions. Yeah, the only thing I want you guys to walk away with. This was long and lengthy. I just wanted to present what sin was about inherited sin. We all have it, um, and it's the number one reason we need counseling. Right? Even though we're saved from it, redeemed from it, it's still there in us in our genetics. We pass it on. Right. And how can we pass on inherited sin after we're saved, right? And we have children. It's passed on to them. It's just, it's just there. It's going to pass from one man to another. That's what God said. So it's still in us. We have a proclivity to lean towards sinful thoughts. We just do. It's because it's nature. Sanctification is fixing our image, fixing our image to be more like Jesus. So we push out those sinful thoughts, right? Um, that's 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 less being as imagers are. So we can go back to co-ruling. The whole process going on here is God's rebuilding Eden, not Revelation, right? There's an Eden-like location in, in heaven. So we have to fix our image to be more like Jesus, to be back into who we were as the true Adam and Eve back then. Good stuff. So imputed sin, God went to the cross, right? Took care of it. And it's our own sin. We're working a lot on our own sin right now. Almost all problems of the deliverance ministry, like you can... I don't, know, I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to go through sozos and stuff like that. It's just, it's just Shabbat. It's just, they're not there. Um, it's just, it, they're stuff that was packaged to make money, right? And a lot of churches ran off with it. And I've seen sozo do horrible damage on people. Horrible. Until um, they got in front of the right people. In fact, you don't know who's doing the sozo. How much experience have they had? Have they been like us in the, over a decade of seeing like thousands of people, right? And dealing with stuff. That person hasn't. And there's some people I don't even weren't even safe. <laughs> Let me throw it out this way. A lot of people I've seen doing sozos needed sozos on themselves, right? And so they got involved in it. They, oh, this is a great thing. I can help people, but they were in no position to even help themselves. And I'm going to leave it at that. And that's what I've seen a lot of. So be careful. Um, again, so yeah. So we've covered sin. I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to press through all this whole thing now. Um, the only book you need in this is, is the Bible. I did document some stuff I call a field guide. It's more like a bird book, right? You're not going to take that in there and go, oh, Mike, to do this, 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 and this. And that's going to show you some things I've encountered and what it looks like just to help you have a knowledge base. That's what's in a field guide, spiritual warfare, the advanced field guide also. Advanced field guide, spiritual warfare. Pick that baby up, go through it. I'm going to put in some notes here, um, post them on the, the show page on my little study guide stuff to help you guys out what we covered here. That's it. That was lengthy. What do we got next? What's our next slide, Mike? Okay, so I had submitted questions from our Tales of Glory listeners. Actually, it was open for questions on Chapter 1, but somebody submitted a question. Your thoughts on Halloween, Mama Dia, Halloween. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, it's not... Halloween depends. You know, Halloween's gotten so corrupted since I was a kid, right? My wife and I were talking about this the other day. Remember Halloween... Decorations were goofy. You know, you had the cotton outside and the fake paper spiders, and you had pumpkins or you had paper sp- or paper witches or something in the windows and stuff. And that was the Halloween decorations, right? Now it's just it's just grotesque and morbid. I don't really do Halloween. I don't care for it. A lot of times, for a while, I was actually manning the phones because of my SRA survivors during Halloween. You know, helping them out. Um, not so much anymore. I got them all in good places where we don't have to worry about that, and they just don't care, right? We figured a lot of stuff out, you know, how to help them through that. Like it's just—it's another day of God. Don't don't give it over to Satan. But trick or treating, um, you know, 
if your neighborhood participates in trick-or-treating, don't be an old rule. Like, we don't do that. We don't participate. If you don't participate, fine. Go do something else. It's a total choice, right? Free will. Uh, I usually do. I don't really decorate my house to the kilt or something. I'm, when I had kids, I put a pumpkin out or something. That was about it for my decorations. So it's, you know, I do participate. But what I do to say, too, is to my kids when they want to go trick-or-treating is don't go as anything evil. Go as something uplifting. Say it was one of the superheroes or something, which is great. You know, just be something positive in the world, right? Just if you're going to go out there and do it. So there's nothing wrong. And so, like I said, some some communities are big on Halloween. You know, the trick-or-treaters and neighbors all get together. If that's what it is, that's your chance to be part of community. Do it. And, oh, my God, Mike said be part of Halloween. I'm saying go out there and do sacrifices or go do <laughs> druid stuff. Everybody goes, it's part of a druid holiday. It probably is. It was, you know. It's just, but that's not what it is now, you know. It's, you know, the Satanists are off doing their stuff. Who cares? It's still God's day. It's it's a time to, you can interact with people positively as a Christian. And that's what I would do with it. But I said just make sure you're not of the world, right? You could be in the world, but don't be of the world. And that's why my recommendation about Halloween um, there, if you're really uncomfortable, too, some of the funnest things I ever did, too, when I first started out was I really couldn't deal with Halloween because I was first, the sermon started kicking crazy and stuff was we used to have um, Halloween nights that a friend organized what's called Holy Ghost Stories. And all us ministers got together and shared our, our best, uh, you know, minister stories of stuff that was wacky or crazy miracles and stuff like that. So that's an option, too. Um, but, you know, with, with COVID, is it going to be a Halloween this year? I don't know. So... That's my take. I'm not. I'm not the person going. You know, get on Facebook going. You guys are going to hell for doing Halloween. It's just. It's your. It's your chance to to evangelize, right? You know, don't overdo it. But your chance to be with people. You know, and interact with your neighbors. And that that's community. That's something there too. So. However you celebrate it, right? That's how I do it. But my my encouragement is, don't put tombstones in your front yard. Don't put. <laughs> Not the graves in your front yard is you know you don't know what you're attracting you just don't we don't know yet you know when stuff blows by or you know, just we don't speaking of that uh, let me jump to a holy ghost story so most of you know so from the the previous book a field against spiritual warfare i talked about i went through hauntings and stuff so we're, we're moving my dad out of his his house right now he's actually living with me he's been that let me the past two years now i believe and we're getting ready to rent his house out but i'm still dealing with a haunting in that house right and so he used to train dogs, so there was there was a closet full of I don't know why he cremated all his dogs. There was like about twelve boxes of police dogs cremated in there. I don't know what he's gonna do with them. He goes, I'm gonna be buried with them. Okay, whatever, treat your own. I thought it was gross. So we moved him out, and as I moved everything out of the closet, um, I noticed there was like I thought there was like a, a white broken lamp shaped thing on the top of the closet, and so I went and removed that last, and I came back to work on the closet, going to paint the house, you know, for for rental, renters to move in, um, and as I moved that vase out and came back, I saw a shadow figure walk right by me. I think it was attached to the death in the, um, I guess the cremated dogs. It was some, some sort of weird spiritual death attachment. Go, oh, wow, I saw you. And that's what stirred it up. And it, it manifested and tried to walk and scare me. You know, as a kid, it probably would have frightened the heck out of me, which it did. Um, but now I just cranked um, my playlist in his presence and it just shifted the atmosphere so hard. I didn't ever see that thing again. It was hysterical. Um, but yeah, I need to go back and do a full blessing in the house and drive stuff out. Now it's been cleaned out. What it was, it was um, we were dealing with the hoarder's, ha hoarder's house, um, and we cleaned it out. And so I know there's, there's, there's spirits here that cause the hoarding. There's spirits here that cause sickness and all sorts of things. And I know they're there forever. It's just, it's just what happens when you deal with the next psychic house, right? Um, and we cleaned it out. And like I said, we're still dealing with spirits. I still see stuff. 
I've been there before where our, wheel, our old rocking chair was moved um, into a hallway in front of me. I'm like, hey, that's scary. It's like, no, I kicked this rocking chair all the way. <laughs> this stuff don't scare me, dude. When it's on, it's on. You should be scared when I'm coming back when the house is fully clean. Why I haven't done an exorcism on the house yet is because um, it's, like I said, there was chaos. It was hoarding. It's not hoarding now. We're going to get it clean, get it beautified, everything cleaned up. The chaos is gone. And so it's in a, a peaceful state, and then the exorcism occurs on the house. Um, yeah, so that's my Halloween story. Anyhow, you guys are awesome. Love you guys. Remember, this will be up on a fieldguidedspiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. And like I said, we, we thank you guys so much for supporting us financially. Please help us out. You know, we're going through a hard spot right now, too, with ministry. Like, everybody's hit, hit hard, so our counseling is kind of rolling low, too, here, because nobody's got money, right? It's just, it is what it is. We're all pulling together. So, um, you guys are amazing, and let me know the feedback. I know this was kind of long today, so I'll, um, I'll get off here. But yeah, the, I wanted to cover sin first. We dived into other stuff. We start diving into the counseling and the the, the, you know, the demonic stuff and all sorts of good stuff. So, God bless you guys. Have a good one.